Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, the podcast that aims to inspire a healthier life with mental fortitude by sharing powerful stories of individuals who have defied the odds to overcome major challenges in fitness and in life. I'm Terry Rosman, Rockman founder and your host today, and today we are joined by Luke Taberski, ultra-endurance athlete, mindset coach, author, and keynote speaker. Our attitude and outlook are essential building blocks in creating a successful life. A positive perspective can be the difference between feeling empowered or defeated, so it's crucial to pay attention to our mindsets every single day. We speak to Luke about how we can create a mindset that helps us to get out of the way of ourselves, why identity plays such a huge role in our living experience, how to reframe setbacks and navigate difficult times, and how and why we should all be prioritising daily me time in our jam-packed lives, and much more. If you'd like to be notified about new podcast releases and help this show grow, be sure to hit the subscribe button below. And if you take any value from this podcast, please, whatsoever, be sure to give us the thumbs up, leave us a review, or share it with a friend. And don't forget, this podcast is brought to you by Rockman, the ultimate online challenge platform. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content, and community to motivate you to push your body, strengthen your mind, and achieve your next level of health, fitness, and mental resilience around your everyday life from anywhere, anytime, all year round. Forge an unbreakable body and mind from the comfort of your own location without the restriction of fixed schedules, expensive gyms or equipment, and outside of race day events. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk. But now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Mr. Luke Taberski. Luke, how are we doing? I, right, first off, I'm going to try, attempt to say your surname as well. So this is Tuberski. Tuberski. Tuberski? Yeah, that's, there you go. There we go. Winning. Winning. Luke Tuberski, welcome to the Rockman Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Terry. Thanks for having me, buddy. Uh, cool. what, 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 that, that doesn't sound typically Australian, that surname. So where's, that, what's the, where's the heritage on that? It's very much Polish. My grandparents, after the Second World War, went out to Australia on a boat, and uh, that's where the last name came from. Oh, bro! Have you, have you ever been up there to see uh, to Poland? And the... I've been to Poland a couple of times. I've actually randomly got a uh, Polish passport, so yeah, I have been over there a few times. I do have the passport, and it helps me uh, get around Europe. I must admit. Not bad, not bad. Um, well, we've got you on the Rockman podcast today because uh, you reached out to us. So you're familiar with some of the people that have been on the Rockman podcast before. But then looking into your backstory, you're, you you are a perfect fit with what we're trying to do at Rockman. Definitely. So, you you know, you, I've got a list here of some of the stuff you've done. You're, you're a runner, triathlete, an author, ultra-endurance challenge athlete. So you've got a few uh, huge challenge un- challenges under your belt as well. So the ultimate triathlon, which was a 2,000-kilometer Morocco to Monaco triathlon, a 500-kilometer non-stop triathlon. So these are these are no mean feats. You're also a keynote speaker. Um, you're a coach, a mentor. You're a blogger. You're a podcaster. Is there anything I've missed off there on that list? It's, it's quite a... 
I'm really good at sleeping. That's another thing. I'm world a champion? great sleeper. Oh, I wouldn't go world champion, but I'm a great sleeper, Terry, I must admit. <laughs> How many hours are we talking tonight? Oh, mate, I'm very happy if I get nine plus, but it doesn't always happen. Nine. But, but that's that's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah, that's not too bad. So I'm, I'm sure I've done it a disservice, the introduction. I was wondering if you could give us a short introduction to the listeners about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, good question. What I do, it's a, it's a it's a great, especially in the UK, I find it more so than a lot of other places. But you go somewhere, whether it's at a friend's place or you go out to dinner or, or wherever and you meet someone new. One of the first questions that you get is, what do you do? Right. You get it all the time. And a lot of the times we will just fall into this. This is what I this is what I get paid for doing on a daily basis. Right. For me. Because if we break it down to what do I do in terms of what I get paid for, it's so broad. But in reality, what gets me up every day, what gets me excited, why I'm so sort of pumped up now is I help people get out of their own way to view, think, and act differently to help them achieve their goals. And the way that I do that is for different mediums. So as you said, like I coach athletes, I, I've spoken I think in about 16 or 17 different countries all around the world as a keynote speaker, I mentor athletes right across the globe from elite teenagers to professional athletes. Um, so, and I do all these big challenges as well and share that stories online. So it's really about sharing the journey that I'm on in life, but also teaching others what life has taught me. And to really sum it up is I've got a, a life philosophy that I live by. It's to learn daily share with others what and share with others what life has taught me so that's what i do i look to learn daily build relationships and share with others what life has taught me to help them overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks to see opportunities that they may not see when they're faced with adversity Mm, I like that answer. So you, you're not sort of the sum of what you do in, in sort of the surface level stuff. It's the purpose behind it. That is who we are, really. Um, and I think you're right about the party thing. It's, um, we always go straight to the job, don't we? Um, rather than sort of your values that you hold and the purpose and what you're interested in. But it was you had, you had a key uh, phrase there you turned. Um, you help people get out of the way of themselves. What do you mean by that? I agree, by the way. But what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a lot of people pick up on that because I'm putting my hand up for those who are listening and not watching. I'm I'm like everyone else. Sometimes I just restrict myself from, from what I can achieve, whether that's on a broad scale or whether that's on a daily basis, you know, mindlessly scrolling through the phone, right? Or not doing something today and then tomorrow because I want to achieve it in the future. So it's really having the self-awareness to understand what you are, how you are viewing a certain situation and then how you think regard, um, regarding that or what you are viewing and then the action you take. So this is how I, how I define mindset. That, that, that term has been thrown around a hell of a lot these days and it's a great thing. Everyone's got different uh, you know, sort of meanings to it. Mine is how you view think and act on a daily basis. So what I mean when I say I help people get out of their own way, I help them view situations, scenarios, and outcomes uh, in a productive way or in a rea if through reality, and then help them think in a way 
that then they can take action, whether that's physically or verbally or non-action. So they don't do something or they don't say something that's going to help them achieve their goals or even take the next step to achieve their goal or even to create a plan of what it's going to take to achieve their goals. Mm. I, I suppose, would you call it a, a reframing technique then? Because I, I, we do a lot of work with sort of mental resilience. And it's funny that one of the key um, aspects of mental resilience is reframing how you view, interpret and perceive what's in front of you to into a, a positive way to m motivate you in order to go after something rather than sort of maybe be demotivated or not motivated at all. Is, is that a technique that you would employ? Yeah, like reframing alongside and they go hand in hand to reaffirming because you don't always have to reframe something, whether it's even if it's negative or positive, you don't have to always reframe it. Sometimes it's just reaffirming, mm -hmm. you know, what I did say if, say for me, I've pulled out of races before I've DNF'd, so I did not finished and I reaffirm once I've taken stock and reflected that there are times when that was the right decision. So I reaffirm the, how I view that outcome. I did not finish the race. I pulled myself out. So it also about reaffirming as well as, um, uh, I think we get caught up in this world that every, we have to put a positive spin on everything. And I don't agree with this, maybe a little bit controversial, but let me explain myself very quickly. I don't agree that we always have to put this paint everything with a positive brush because life is not black and white and life is not always rosy. So I'm not saying if something happens to you, if you face adversity, if something goes wrong, then when you have that initial really quick negative thought, negative emotion, negative feeling that you should grab onto it and roll with it. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I believe there's a third option. And that's being less negative because even if you lose a job, even if you drop your favorite glass on the kitchen floor, or even if you lose a loved one, right? It's really difficult to snap out of it straight away and just focus on being a hundred percent positive. Oh yeah, but it's great because of X, Y, and Z. Sometimes we can't do that in the initial stages. So can we be less negative and focus on three simple things, identifying what happened, understanding how it happened, and then acknowledging where do I now need to focus in order to help me to take that next step from being in a less negative frame of mind to getting closer to then being able to be positive. So I think it's really important to also reaffirm the decisions that you've made as well as being less negative, because I think ultimately, if you can be less negative instead of being negative, it, it will help you be able to take that next step, getting closer to be able to being positive in the long run. Yeah, I suppose that's it. It's, it's some circumstances, just there, there is no positive on it. Uh, you, you just said like uh, losing a loved one. I mean, how the hell can you see a positive in that? Um, but I suppose what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's you can have these negative emotions, but the important thing is to take positive movements forward or positive steps. Would that yeah. be sort of so it's, correct? It's it's not even about labeling these emotions negative. Is it, are they helpful or unhelpful? 
Mm-hmm. That's that's different to being negative, right? Mm. It's an unhelpful um, unhelpful emotion. So you are putting a, a label on it, but unhelpful just means that this is this is not going to help me move forward. It's not making me go back, but it's it's not going to help me move forward. So then it's acknowledging what is that emotion? How is it making me feel? And how can I turn this unhelpful emotion into a helpful one? So it's it's not just about, okay, not being negative and can we be positive? It's creating a process to help you move from where you are to where you want to go, but knowing that you don't have to go there in one step. And if we have a process to go through one, it keeps us on being focused. Doesn't uh, To a degree, it helps us to not then go down this negative frame of mind or this negative rabbit hole. And then it gives us a chance. You know, just because all of these principles and processes that work for so many people that I've worked with, sometimes they don't, but it gives you a chance to move forwards, to get back to that positive frame of mind. Mm, that was interesting what you said, but I suppose you can get stuck in these sort of negative loops as well. If you haven't got this framework and that it's going to be very hard to get it out of that, I suppose, when you're so used to seeing the negative, having the negative emotions and not moving forward in a positive uh way as well what, what, what kind of people do you work with then is it always athletes or is it normal people it's just anyone that sort of wants a bit of coaching and mentoring with their mindset yeah the majority of the people i work with are athletes um so a lot of them are runners ultra runners uh, who i actually write their programs for their strength and conditioning their actual running programs because I've been working one-to-one with runners, many, many marathon and ultra runners for over 10 years. And I've been working one-to-one with athletes across all sports for uh, just over 20 years now. Um, so I do, I have worked with a lot of athletes and I still do, but there are people who I work with now on a, on a weekly basis who don't really do a whole lot of sport. They might go to the gym occasionally, but it's not about, okay, here, do this, this, these exercises. It's working on you know, that mindset, how you view, think and act on a daily basis. Uh, and it is really about um, how we can get out of our own way to, to go over what I said earlier to help them achieve their goals. And whether that's, you know, I've worked with several C-suite executives before in the past and, and mid-mental mid-level managers of different companies to help them and their team and their organization be productive Mm. and do it in a way that is sustainable. So the majority are athletes and I work with on a mentoring element as well across various sports as well as runners. Um, But I always always have just a a couple of random people that have no interest in sport that I connect with and, and help them achieve what they need to achieve in life. Well, that's the thing. I think it it, it fits perfectly in, in an athlete cons, uh, environment, uh, but it's also easily transferable over to sort of real life world and real life world. These uh, processes and uh, mindset techniques you're talking about. Um, what what sort of problems are these people facing then? I'd, I'd be I'd be interested. Is it like everyday problems? I'd like you don't have to go into the nitty gritty or spill the beans, but you know, for me, I'm just it's constantly. I've got no time. I've got a family, young kids, you know what I mean? It's, but yeah, these it's, stresses that stop, stop you or the barriers, aren't they? That's all. Yeah. I, I, I won't, I won't. And, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to drop any, drop any names, but I'm working with a, a national body, national sporting body 
let's say. Um, so, you know, with, with the elite juniors, let's say that. And one of the things they struggle with is time, time management. Well, exactly what you said. That's why I started to laugh when you, when you were saying, you know, I've got no time. This is so one of it is time management, helping these, these elite athletes, these, these kids, a lot of them are teenagers, early twenties manage their time. And a lot of them don't have anything else to do except for train, but they also need to get to training on time. They get to their rehab in time, get to their recovery sessions on time, all of these things, get to meetings on time, get to all these places and they fill it up. And then they're like, well, I still want to have a social life, you know? So it's, there is this element of time is a big one that I, that I work with. And one of the first things I say to everyone that I work with where time is a major thing that needs to be focused on, which let's be honest, for a lot of us is, do you want to make sacrifices or do you want to make choices in your life? It's a big difference. So I would, I would be very happy to go and talk to any Olympic gold medalist and say to them, you've never made a sacrifice in your life. Most of them will agree with me. Some will look at me really confused and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. But what I mean by this is, and I'll be, you know, sort of very blunt here is no one held a gun to anyone's head to say, right, you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and train for eight hours every day for four years to go to the Olympics. They made a choice to do that. Some days it wasn't a choice. It felt like it was an obligation because there's sponsorship, there's pressure, there's all uh, people are, you know, people's livelihoods are rested on the, on the backs of some athletes and teams, but bottom line, it's a choice. So as you said, can we reframe to I'm making a sacrifice, which has a negative attachment to it because it's like, well, I'm sacrificing something that means I'm not doing something else, or that means I'm giving something away. That means you're, you're, you're giving something that you, you want, or you could have. No, that's not what it is. You're choosing to spend your time in a certain way. So let's say for you, you love doing the podcast. And you want to do the podcast every week. You'd love to record three episodes every week. And you're like, I just don't have the time. It's a fact of, okay, let's look at how you spend every minute of your day. Break it up into needs and wants. And then start from then. There's a whole another process that I go through, but that's basically it. What is a need and what is a want? And then where are you wasting time by filling it with just random stuff? And one thing I say to a lot of people is, okay, do you check social media during the day? And they're like, yeah, of course I do. I says, okay, delete it from your phone. And that people are like, what do you mean? I can't delete Instagram from my phone. I'm like, if that's not a huge source of income, and if it is a huge source of income, hire someone else to do it, right? <laughs> For some of the athletes I work with, delete it off your phone, get someone to change the password so you can't go into it. And get off it. Do that for several months. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, those 20 minutes that I spent scrolling in the mornings, I can now prep for a podcast or I can now research for my next guest or I can now spend 20 more minutes with, with, my, with my child before they go to school or someone like that. So there's all these things of breaking it down to what's a need and what's a want. And then the time in between those needs and wants, where are you wasting it? And then... How do we remove distractions or how do we implement habits is, is a big one. There's, you know, obviously there's, there's plenty of scientific literature on how we create habits and, and there's several steps to do that. 
can we then start implementing habits to help us stick to a routine? Yeah, I like that. It's uh, the needs and wants. And I tell you, what, I've been I've been wrestling with my uh, calendar and my my the time in my day for especially since the kids are coming around. You're talking about those athletes they're in their twenties and um, they've got to train all day. I was like, they don't know what it's like to have no time whatsoever. Wait till they've got children, then they'll find out what happened. I, I must have wasted so much, so many, so many hours in my youth. But I find you've got to. It's not necessarily finding the time you've got to make the time um and at the moment um i'm having to train in the mornings because that's the before anyone gets up i never wanted to do this i never wanted to be a morning person but it's it's the only time i can do it if i don't do it then um i won't do it at all and it's yeah that's making a choice not 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 making a sacrifice you if you want to train okay i'm making a choice to do it at this time uh if you want to you know like just to go on the random example I said, if you want to do more podcasts and okay, you've got to make a choice to do other things in the morning to then go out your daily life to then have free up time, choose to spend time in the evening to do podcasts and things like that. And I also want to touch on something that I, that I said earlier, this is uh, what else are you good at? And I said, sleeping. So yeah, I aim for nine hours a night. People are like, well, how do you get stuff done? How I get stuff done is when I sleep for nine hours a night is I wake up every day feeling refreshed and a hundred percent ready to go. And I punch out a productive day, not every day, most days. And I know that I'm going to be really productive because I know if I have a really poor sleep or I'm, I stay up late or something like that, I'm a, I'm a definitely a morning person, not an evening person. Then I feel lethargic. I feel I struggle. So I could stay up till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock and do stuff or watch a film or whatever, and then get up at six in the morning and get cracking, but I'm going to feel lethargic and I'm going to struggle a little bit. And so I know that if I do get this more sleep, I'm more productive in the day. And I look at it from a month, three months, 12 months is that if I'm being more productive when I'm awake for say five hours a day, that's massive. If I can do five really productive hours a day where I'm, where I'm totally dialed in, I'm in the zone, whatever you want to call it, and I punch out five really strong productive hours and I'm not distracted, I'll take that every day than wearing on my sleeve that I only get six or seven hours. Oh, absolutely. So um, I've heard I've heard it called like if you could um, put sleep into pill form, it would be a wonder drug. You know what I mean? It, it would because it, it affects everything about you. And I, I like you said, there are people wearing on their sleeves, of, you know, or oh, I get I only sleep six hours. Well, I don't know about you, but I cannot function on six hours. You're less productive. Your your attention's not there. Um, you're grouchier. Um, you feel tired all throughout the day and you're quite right like if you if you're ready and primed for the day with a good good rest and a good sleep you could you're gonna you're gonna smash the day you're gonna get it done yeah and the reality is not everyone can do that however if it's a target if it's an aim and you can start to try and etch your way to in that to do that then you know it is going to help and don't get me wrong there are people that don't need that amount of sleep um, a big category of people is you look at people who've spent time in the military. There is more and more uh, anecdotal, and I haven't dove into it, but I, it's something that's been in the back of my mind that I really want to dive into it, is to see 
people who have spent X amount of years in the military who are, you know, on minimal sleep, and we're talking years in the military, um, are they still functioning at, let's say, 100%, so to speak, when they're only getting four or five hours of sleep a night? And we hear all these stories online and in other podcasts and stuff, there's different people who have spent a lot of time in the military. They're like, yeah, I get four or five hours of sleep a night and I'm super productive. I get stuff done. I, I hear it more often now. And I think, well, there must be something in that because if they're, they're being sleep deprived for a long period of time over years, does that change their I know we're getting slightly off topic here, but does it, does that change their, their need for the sleep? I don't know. I haven't dug into the research, but I'm intrigued by that. So I think there are certain people that don't need these like huge amounts of sleep, but being an athlete, um, all my entire life growing up in Australia, being an elite football slash soccer player, um, sleep was something that was like drilled into us, get sleep, get sleep, get sleep. So that has always been a huge element of my life. And it's just something that I've always known and I've kept it. You brushed upon being a professional footballer then in Australia. I, I, I know we're we're half an hour in and we're going back to your backstory now, but we're, it's going to be all over the place, the podcast. I was wondering, could, could you tell the, the listeners a bit about your backstory then? Because you weren't always this ultra-endurance athlete. And obviously you, you weren't always living in Britain. Um, no, not so at all. So where... But what's your story then? Where'd you come from? And sort of what can you pinpoint anything through your upbringing that sort of made you the person who you are today? Yeah. So I grew up in a small country town, three and a half hours northwest of Sydney in Australia, a little town called Bathurst. And I played soccer, played football. That was it. That's all I ever wanted to do was be a professional footballer. And obviously growing up in the 90s, it wasn't very big in, in Australia. It was very, it was well played by the kids, but you know, professional leagues and the national team, yeah, just wasn't very good. Uh, I showed some promise as a 15 year old and started to play at the, the top level in Australia, started to play for um, the, the national competition where you got looked at for the under 17 national team. So from the age of 15 and 16, leading up to that under 17 uh, national team, uh, squad is I was exposed to the highest level of Australian sport and I say that even though I was playing football but Australia pumped a lot of money into sport in the 90s because we had the Sydney Olympics in 2000 so as a 15 year old I'm talking to a sports psychologist we had dietitians and nutritionists at our camps in the school holidays uh, we would you know, do things like weighing ourselves every morning and, and, and talking about how we felt from, from the sleep and the training and me measuring our sleep just off, you know, how we felt. Um, we were also doing meditation, mindfulness practices, breathing protocols. And we're talking about you know, 1997, um, a long time ago. It wasn't called that back then just to, as to teenage boys, um, but that's what it was. So I've been doing that ever since I was like 15, 16. So I, I got exposed to that really high level performance from a young age and, and also the, how much of an impact nutrition has on the body, strength and conditioning, um, you know, different type of fitness training, mental strength training, psychology. And I bought into it from day one as a 15 year old kid. Um, and then I left the country in when I was 21. Went to America and played uh, um, football over there. Uh, went over to Belgium to play there. 
And then I ended up coming over to the UK, had a short stint over here for a couple of years, battled with injury and retired just over 10 years ago. And the question you asked me right at the end before I gave you a little bit of my backstory was, was there anything in my, in my childhood, my upbringing that sort of helped me help define who I am today with a little bit of a backstory in terms of my footballing career. Then I retired and started doing ultra endurance challenges. There was two things from my childhood that my parents, um, have two loving parents, loving family, uh, I, now these days at 39 years of age, I look back and it's like, I had the perfect childhood. Like I didn't think it existed, but now getting a bit older and meeting a lot of people, my childhood was perfect working class family, but you know, it was perfect. And they taught me two things to be curious in all elements of life. Be curious, not in terms of that annoying kid, just keep asking questions, but just be curious with everything. And the second thing was, is hard work with a caveat just because you work hard doesn't mean you'll be successful but if you don't work hard you won't be successful so it was a reality check that if i just like i'm going to be the hardest worker in the room and i'm going to work hard and i'm going to achieve everything that's not how the world works it just doesn't because life isn't fair right but if you don't work hard then you're not going to be successful so that was sort of drilled into me as well as curiosity uh, ever since I can remember. How did the challenges come about? What, yeah. Because what, what, that's a big switch. I mean, I know you're into fitness and football, but like these mm. ultra injuries, it's, it's mm. far removed from the training mm. and stuff that you would be doing yeah. in the football. Yeah. So the long, the long story is in my book, Chasing Extreme. <laughs> but the short story is I had a loss of identity. When I retired from football, I was struggling with um, clinical depression for about four or five years before I even spoke up to anyone. And I struggled with insomnia, uh, binge eating, and there was twice where I didn't want to live anymore and stood on tops of bridges wanting to take my life. And it got pretty dark. I say that now very casually, but I've done a hell of a lot of work to be able to get to this point to talk about that. And I feel privileged to be able to share my story with other people in a way that I can be so vulnerable and open. So I signed up to all these big challenges that I've done. You know, my first ever running race was the Marathon de Saabs, running 255 kilometers in seven days, self-supported, um, carrying everything in your backpack. Uh, in that was your first. Week. That was my first ever. <laughs> I'd never even ran like a 10K race before that. Signed up six months from retiring from football, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be an endurance adventurer. I do these big, crazy challenges around the world, write magazine articles about them, have documentaries made, write books, talk about them on stages. And this is what I'm going to do for a living now. And that's what I disguised it all as to everyone else. And it's like, yeah, like this is this cool thing now I'm focusing on. But in reality, it was all smoke and mirrors to not have people to actually ask me like, how are you? what are you doing now after you retired from football? It's like, I'm going to, you know, sort of blindside everyone by all this crazy endurance talk. But in, in reality, I was hurting. I had a loss of identity. I was depressed and I was just completely lost in life. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I figuratively and literally set out to run away as far as I could from 
facing up to the fact that I was struggling with my mental health. I had depression. I didn't want to live anymore. And I had this loss of identity. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to run away from it all. Yeah. I mean, firstly, thank you for sharing that story. Cause like that's, it's not easy to hear it as well, to be honest. Um, and I, I see this time and time again, I feel like sort of identity and a purpose within a person is, it's, it's almost the core of who they are. And if they lose that, um, they lose all direct, you, you're, I mean, you're going to be all too familiar with, with this stories. And um, what was I saying? So they have the identity. Yeah, and th this can happen to anyone. This is what I mean. So it, you don't have to be, say, a, you know, a sports star, a professional sports star. And I, I see that time and time again is like time will go by where people sort of, as you grow older, you you gain responsibilities, right? And slowly these these responsibilities, we're talking about time, they eat up your time. And there's less and less time for sort of any self-actualization about who you are, what you enjoy, what you do. You know, it's it happened. It's happened to me in the past, and um, suddenly, all you are is what you do, and not sort of the stuff that you enjoy. And there is this sort of loss of direction and uh, purpose and aim and meaning, and it can have dramatic effects, like you were describing, where you know that you 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 would thought about not being here in the world. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's an important thing that people because there's so many people at the moment I, sp I suppose that when we talk about health and well-being that they're like i'm fine i'm all right i'm okay but i find these are like they're slow burners these these issues and it's in, it could be tomorrow next month next year five years but that it'll slowly erode and eat at you until the cracks show um what was it like for you? Did you have a good, I mean, you, you saying you were trying to hide it from people. Was that a, first off, was that a conscious decision or is this something that you now know in hindsight? And secondly, sort of how, how was it, how did it get identified that you were suffering? How, how did it come out? I, I completely hit it. I, I was, I was first confused at how I felt. And then I was just like, I don't want people to see me like this. I, this is not who I am. So I'm going to hide it and I, there's no way that I could, I, I didn't have the internal strength to talk about it. So it was a completely conscious decision to hide this away. So a story that I've told many times is I was living with a couple of friends in London and during this, this time, and I would, I got up in the morning and they, before they went to work and said, Oh guys, I'm, I'm heading out now for the day. Um, no worries. Okay. See you later. And my room was near the front door and I would open the front door, close it, sneak back into my room really quietly and just sitting there. So they thought I was out for the day, but in reality, I just stayed in bed all day. So I was hiding the fact that I was so depressed and didn't want to do anything with, with my day from, from people around me. So yeah, it was completely conscious thing. And the second part to your question was how did it come about? Well, first of all, I was a very good actor. I'll, I'll give myself credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was a very, very good actor because the amount of people, like not just people who knew me, but people who really knew me, people in my inner, inner circle that have said to me after I, I opened up about everything, I had no idea. Why didn't you tell me? And even my sister, even my sister, who I'm very close with her, she lives in the UK here as well. 
she got angry at me. She's like, why didn't you tell me you felt, you, you can talk to me about anything. She got a little bit agitated and I was like, this is not about you. <laughs> but it's like, she got angry because she was like, why, you know, I spent a lot of time with her during this period of time, but I just hit it. I just a very good actor. And it was when the pain got too much. And I was, I eventually, I knew I had to make a decision at some point because the way I was going was, it was going to end badly. So I got to a point and, and I'm talking five, six years. So it took a while, right? It's not just like, Oh, I had a couple of bad months and it's like, right, this is it. No, I'm talking five or six years where I was like, I need to make a decision. So, and this is advice that I give to anyone who is listening or who's watching that knows someone or maybe is struggling with their own mental health in, in some degree. And this is what I did. I made a decision based off these two things. I could go and share my story to someone that loved me, that I loved, someone that's very close to me that knows me, and I could open up to them as much or as little as I wanted because it would be a very comfortable conversation because I would be with someone who I'm comfortable with. Option A. Option B was I could go and talk to a complete stranger, i.e. a professional, counsellor, um, therapist, psychiatrist, someone like that, and they don't know me. I can tell them as little as, as much as I want. I can tell them the truth. I can lie to them. I can do whatever I want. I'm completely in control. Option B. I said to myself, I have to talk to someone. And those were the two options I had. I went for option B. I thought there's no way I'm going to talk to people who know me. I'm going to go and talk to a complete stranger. It took a long time before I actually completely opened up and talked uh, to my therapist about exactly what was going on. And then eventually I told my close friends and family that I was battling with depression and, and I had been for a while, but it was several years later and I did it. And I did it for myself. I want to make, I want to make sort of that clear. I did this for myself. I only opened up about the, the binge eating, the, uh, the insomnia and, and wanting to take my life standing on tops of bridges when I wrote my book, because I use it as a way to say it without saying it out loud. So I didn't really talk about it to a therapist a whole lot. It was, it was really still uncomfortable, but I found writing it cathartic and it actually was really helpful in that process of actually writing it. And I knew that if I can keep it in the book, if I can put it in the book, then it's going to be that next step of uh, healing, for lack of a better term. And that's what I did. The last piece of the puzzle to everything that I've been going through was I read it in my book and I gave the first draft to my girlfriend, now wife, my parents, my close friends. And I said, this is going to be really difficult for you to read, but just know I'm here and I'm okay. And that was the final piece of the puzzle where I opened up completely. And it has been amazing because the amount of support that I've received and the hundreds of talks I've given that I intertwine my personal story um, into my physical challenges, as well as the principles and the process I go through to help others and help myself get out of our own way to uh, overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks. And I intertwine it because I'm proud of the personal story that I have got and I have been through 
because it took a lot of work to get to the other side. So that's why I share it so openly. Yeah. And you know what, like since doing Rockman, um, and obviously we have, we focus on mental resilience, but with a look to improve and help maintain people's mental well-beings from, from doing this, I know how common these problems are. I've had people reach out to me and, um, as much as probably you're in the moment and you're thinking it's only happening to you, it, it's it's happening to so many people. And that's why people like you sharing your story, I think is so important because when people can hear it and they can resonate with what you're saying, it's hopefully going to inspire them to take for, uh, steps forward and um, help get the help that they need. How much did challenges help you then? Like in part, in part of your therapy, if you call it, how much were, how much, how much do credit challenges to helping you take the positive movements How much forward? do I credit challenges for helping me move forward? Well, or don't you at all? You th <laughs> there are that. No, no, no. Like I'm, 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 I know my answer. I'm just making sure I, I say it in the right way. There are plenty of people out there that use and they're openly and they talk about doing ultra endurance, doing running, running ultra marathons, doing Ironman, doing all this stuff is my therapy, right? For me, it wasn't. I It was a form of self-harm. And I say that consciously and I say that openly. It was a form of self-harm. I was addicted to ultra endurance challenges, but it was a form of self-harm. And I only came to realize that years later because think of it like this. I, I, I come home, I have dinner, I'm depressed, I'm in my bedroom because I don't want to integrate with anyone and I feel really lonely, so I binge eat. Right? I feel really low, so I binge eat, tub of ice cream, bag of nuts, bag of crisps, all this sort of stuff, and then I feel really crappy. It's now 2 o'clock in the morning. I feel really low. How do I pick myself up? How do I feel good again? I put on my running shoes. It's now 3 o'clock, and I go and run for four hours until the sun comes up. I come into the front door, my housemate go, oh, you go for a run. Yeah, just went for a 5K. Come back in, start my day. This was part of the cycle I went through for years. So it didn't help. It wasn't therapy. It didn't make me feel better. It was my high. I was addicted to it like any other addict. And it was a form of self-harm because people don't, say, cut themselves because they want to inflict pain. They want to distract from the pain that they're in. So I was in this pain, this mental health pain, this loss of identity pain. So I was doing these big challenges because it made me feel something else, which is why I say it was a, a form of self-harm and I was addicted to it. I was an addict. So this is my story. I, I see this in a lot of other people and they don't quite see it that way in their own self, in their own lives. But it's, uh, yeah, it didn't help me at all. It prolonged my recovery. But at the same time, it also made me who I am today. It's given me tools. It's given me principles and procedures and experience of overcoming adversity. And we spoke off air about adversity. And I look at it as this way. There's, there's times when you choose adversity, where you choose to get yourself out of your own comfort zone, to do difficult things, to build that resilience. So that's choosing adversity. And I look at that as training because in life, adversity is going to find you. 
and adversity is going to put itself right on top of your head and feel like it's squashing you. So if you're waiting to become mentally resilient by just hoping that when resilience, when adversity strikes, that you'll be okay, then you're setting yourself up to fail. So that's why it's important to choose adversity, to choose and be conscious about doing difficult things. That might be as simple as taking the stairs instead of the escalators. That is still choosing something difficult. It doesn't have to be running 100 miles, but at least once a day, consciously choose to do something that you don't want to do. Take the stairs instead of the lifts, you know, eat some more vegetables and instead of a chocolate bar that one day. It can be something as small as that, or it can be something as I'm going to go and run a 10K. I'm going to go and make these 15 sales calls before lunch rather than five. And I'm not going to have lunch until I do the 15 calls so you don't procrastinate. But choose adversity to prepare yourself when adversity chooses you will set you up to give you a chance to be more resilient when you need to. Yeah. It's adversity's coming. As you said there, it's coming. Like um, whether you like it or not, there's so many things outside of our control, which are going to hit us hard, like a bus. Um, you, 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 people around you are going to die. They are. It's a fact of living. They, they, they're eventually going to go. You've got stuff in the world, war, You've got coronavirus, you know, pandemics. You've got people losing your job. Um, all these things are bad weather. <laughs> you know, you can't control it. But like the adversity is coming. Adversity is coming. I've got a funny little story. Well, I don't know if it it, it sounds funny, but it's maybe quite sad. But I, a friend told me a story the other day that he went on to on a stag do. And they, they were doing an aerial runway as part of their activity. And this aerial runway was for, is for children. Um, it's, it's, you know, you know he, he's an adult going on it. This is, this is built for kids. And apparently he got to the st step where he had to go and he ended up having a panic attack and he had to come back down the steps. He couldn't do it. He had a panic, panic attack. And he said to me, he said, the problem is I've lived such a comfortable life for the last 20 years I have never faced any adversity. I've never gone to the gym. I've never done anything hard. It's been nice and comfy. These civilized life, these civilized modern lives that we live in, they do uh, protect us for any sort of hardship nowadays. And because of that, when he met something that maybe you would deem would be intimidating for a child, his nervous system, if you like, his mind wasn't used to or experienced in dealing with that kind of threat and pressure that's presented to him which then caused him to have the panic attack so i mean a lot of people don't think that they need to be doing these things and it's probably because they're living in these safe environments where they think well nothing bad is going to happen but put it this way when it does if you've got any sort of resilience about you or experience in dealing with this stuff you're gonna come out the other side quicker <laughs> and, and in better nick <laughs> yeah yeah true and as i said it doesn't have to be anything extreme like an example i'll, I'll give um it happened recently at a uh, thai restaurant i said to a friend it's like why don't you use chopstick chopsticks you know they're on the table 
And they're like, oh, I don't really like them. It's easier to use a spoon or a fork. And I was like, well, why don't you just, just try it? I'll, I'll use them. I'm not very good at chopsticks, but I use them whenever I'm, you know, eating a cuisine that, uh, that stereotypical uses those. And, um, it's even something small like that. And it sounds trivial, but if you do these little things on a regular basis, then it is about problem solving. It is about accepting that things aren't perfect. And it is about not always leaning into comfort, but choosing discomfort and being in control of that. So when you're not in control of it, as you said, you have, you have done some sort of preparation and it's not a complete shock to rightly so you mentioned the nervous system, you know, or just the way that you view the situation that you're faced with. Yeah. I, I think that that's quite right. If, if you get into the habit of, um, facing difficult situations, even if it's using chopsticks, when they are thrown your way, it's it's not so intimidating. It's not going to catch you off your gu- off, off guard as much because you're you're in this rhythm of facing hardship anyway. I agree 100%. It's only at the end of your comfort zone where you catch a glimpse of your true potential. So you need to consciously take that step to the edge of your comfort zone. And if you do that regularly enough, you'll just catch a glimpse of, you know what? I can actually achieve a lot more than I believe I can. Yeah, exactly. And what, what you were saying is well, it don't, you don't have to go and run the marathon to Sables, Sabs, like you did on your f- very first run. No. <laughs> One of the hardest runs in the world. But it, it could you could start with 10 steps or putting your shoes on. You could put the trainers on. Um, it's one thing I've learned. Um, recently is only in the last few years i set myself incredibly small targets i really do but i know i'm going to build upon that so in six months time that target that small target would have grown to so much bigger um i'd liken it to do you do cold cold water therapy at all i'm i've got an ice barrel in the garden and i yeah yeah, the first first time i did it i just the target i gave myself was i get in and i get out that's it. I don't even have to be in there for any time at all. But that, that was the first hurdle. And now I'm up to a couple of minutes. You know, it's taken me a, a while, but it's setting these achievable targets that you can work up, walk upon. Yeah, it is. It's called chunking in, in psychology. Chunking. Um, chunking. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is about setting those lots of little small goals and chunk and like breaking something big up to little chunks and then just so you achieve it, so you achieve it, so you achieve it. But Mate, you, you're doing you're doing all the right stuff, and and, and I, I love hearing other people applying different principles like that to uh, getting out of their own comfort zone and and seeing the results. And I think the more we tell these stories to people who are uh, on the fence, so to speak, of like, well, I like this comfortable life, but I'm not happy in it. I'm not completely happy in it. So maybe if I do a few difficult things in my life, I choose adversity. Maybe that will make my life a little bit better. And, you know, we all want to live a, a, a better life, a more enjoyable life. And sometimes it, it sounds a bit weird, but sometimes you've, you've got to do, uh, something in the face of adversity, choose adversity, something that's a little bit uncomfortable to help better your life in the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you manage your well-being now in your day-to-day life? Yeah, I, I make time for me. Uh, it could be 30 seconds. It could be a minute. It could be 10 minutes. Um, I do some sort of breathing protocol and or meditation every day. 
and it's not like I sit there for half an hour and you know, I sleep nine hours a day, so I don't have time to <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it it could be like I I'm I I do an hour of work, I'm really super focused and I start to lose my focus. I start to like grab my phone and I start scrolling on social media. I'm like, okay, dude, it's time to have a break. That could be just put myself into a different room, you know, focus on my breath, count count my breath, do a hundred breaths, do twenty breaths, do ten breaths go outside and walk up and down my street to get some fresh air and come back in. So there's, they're the mic on a micro level on a day to day, minute by minute um, perspective. And I could do that four or five times a day. I could do it once a day. Some days I don't do any of that, but at the same time is I do self-talk every day and I tell myself what I'm going to achieve, how I'm going to achieve it. And I'll, I'll be honest. I, I tell myself that I'm awesome. I'm amazing and I'm great at specific things or just in general. So I do talk to myself. I have an open narrative. Um, I do, I get to, I get to do that with a lot of my clients, get them to start doing self-talk out loud in a mirror at first, especially the teenage ones. They're like, wait, what? You want me to talk to myself in a mirror? That's just weird. But it is about telling yourself what you want to hear. It is about telling yourself how you want to feel if you don't feel that way. So it is really giving yourself a a, a target to, to aim for. So there's that as well that I would do on a daily basis. And at the same time, I've got a lot of experience in what doesn't work for me. <laughs> so I do um, at different periods, I, I, life isn't balanced and you're never going to have that level balance every minute of every day it is like a seesaw you might be balanced for a moment and then it will go off kilter so i know and i, and I have the self-awareness to understand if i'm off kilter for too long um, to come back so if i'm not sleeping enough if i'm not for me normally as as training as a, an endurance athlete if i'm not eating enough because I don't have enough energy if I'm losing weight. I know that's the opposite of what most people do, but you can flip it around. If you are eating too much, if you are, your clothes are getting a bit tighter. It's being self-aware of that. So I have had that experience. So it is just doing a bit of a check as well. Am I sleeping, sleeping well? Am I eating well? Um, am I moving enough? Am I resting enough? Is the quality of rest? Am I connecting with other people? So I always try and connect with people on a daily basis. You know, I work from home a lot. Um, so it might be a case of I just walk down into the town. I go to a coffee shop and I have a conversation with a random stranger. I know that's not very British at all. But it could be just as simple as that. So, the, and I'm just throwing random stuff out there that I consciously do on a daily or weekly basis. And that keeps me in check. And my wife as well, she, she'll tell me if she thinks I'm going down a bit of a dark hole or if, you know, she's concerned, she will just tell me very bluntly <laughs> you know, that, hey, I don't think you're okay. Let's talk. What's going on? No, I don't believe you. You're fine. Tell me what's going on. And I would say 99% of the time she's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's all, it's all of that together. Some of it specifically at, at certain times and some of those things just by themselves. Yeah. I think the key thing you were talking about then is this self-awareness, isn't it? And this, mm. this sort of measurement of where you are 
continually, I suppose. With, with, um, do, do you write things down? Do you track at all? Do you, and how how do you do that? Yeah, just I I have a journal. Do I don't write a journal every day. Write down my thoughts or how I feel or what I want to achieve. Um, but I do have different journals where if I'm feel like I'm struggling with something and myself talking in the mirror is not helping me going to talk to strangers isn't helping me um things like that even sometimes talking to my wife because you know we are different people um and she's got a very medical minded brain so um she will come at things from a medical perspective sometimes and it doesn't quite fit what i'm looking for so i will start writing things down um, and just if I'm trying to solve a problem or if I'm just, if I'm feeling a bit low, just to get it out. And if, you know, as I said, like talking doesn't work, like self-talk out loud, if that's not helping, then yeah, I will write it down. And, um, all these, some of these, not all of these little principles and processes and procedures that I've talked about on this conversation, that's a lot of those have all started from writing down an idea. I call it a string. And then if I have this idea, I'll write it down. Or if I have a problem that I'm trying to solve, it's like, okay, do I have a string that could potentially solve that problem? And then I have all these books where, oh, this string could help with this issue. And this string, I pull on that and I create a bigger thread and go off on a tangent. So that's then playing around like in a workshop to creating tools to help me with other issues that I deal with. And a lot of the time it is through writing it down because my memory is not that good. So if I don't write it down, I'll forget about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I write everything down. I write absolutely everything down. I always forget everything. So I, I feel you there. What would you say? What was the, what's the most important thing then that you, you've, you've learned through this, this journey? The, I mean, that's quite a big question, but it could be, it could be for your challenges or your, your challenges with your, with your health or anything. But what would be the biggest lesson you've learned? Wow. Biggest lesson I've learned. Yeah. That being imperfectly me is perfect. Yeah. I've never really struggled with self-identity. Yeah. And I mean that outside of being a footballer, identifying myself. Yes, I had this loss of identity, but it was um, like, I've never really cared what other people thought really. So one thing that's always reaffirmed to me um, from the experiences I've had is that it's okay to be imperfect and being imperfectly me is perfect because we are all unique. We all have talents. We all can be better at certain things, but we don't need to be perfect at everything. So being me is exactly what I need to do. Some people will love me. Some people will probably hate me. A lot of people will be a bit like, eh, take him or leave him. But it's the people who make me better and the people who want to spend time with me, genuinely want to spend time with me. They're the people you want in your tribe. And it's the ones that accept you for who you are are the ones that you want to spend more time with and engage with. And just really reaffirming to myself that I am the greatest me and no one else can be anywhere near as good as the person who I am for me. 
and that I should continuing to be who I am and it's not going to be for everyone, but that, that that's okay. I suppose that's the point of it. It doesn't matter. It is. We are all unique. So why not to uh, be who we are? Absolutely. What does the future hold? What, what, what are we doing next? Have we got any, another crazy yeah. challenge yeah. light on the horizon? Oh mate, there's, there's always plenty on the horizon, right? It's just getting there. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's the future hold? Um, uh, going to be a busy year with uh, working with a, a lot of uh, elite athletes this year. Um, I've been talking to with a lot of different teams and organizations that I'm going to be doing some work with. Um, my keynote talking businesses is always going well uh, virtually. I do a lot around the world and also up and down the UK. So I've got plenty of those booked in. Um, from my own physical side of things, I, I have a couple of things I'd like to do. Um, I'm recovering from a hamstring injury at the moment. So how long that takes will determine what I do this year to a degree. But last year I did a lot of swimming. So I did a marathon swim last year and looking to build off that to do something a bit longer this year swimming. Cause I know that I don't need my hamstring really to swim. So a length, a length of one of the longest lakes in the UK might be, a might be in order. Sounds like a bit of fun. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll go with that for now and, and, and see what happens. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we focus so much on the, the work that you do and the mindset and the, the, the mental aspect today. Well, uh, if you do do another challenge, we'll have to get you back on and talk a bit for more about the challenges aspects and the sort of the fitness and what preparation and planning goes into that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave everyone with this is we all can do ultra endurance challenges. We all can do it. It just comes down to one thing, making choices, making choices, and you don't have to sacrifice anything to do big challenges, but we'll leave that as a little caveat for the next time we chat after the next big challenge I'll do. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and where can people find you if they, if they yeah. want to follow, follow your, your journey? Yeah. If you, if you want to, if you want to go and see what else I'm up to, and uh, if you want to look at uh, my speaking or mentoring or, or ultra running services, you can go to my website, luketoberski.com. Uh, you can, I'm online at Luke Taberski on different social media platforms. So yeah, reach out, drop me a note if you enjoyed this. And if you did enjoy this conversation that we, that I had with Terry, I would love to know, I would love to know what you learned from this episode and how you're going to apply it in your everyday life. So drop me a note. I'd love to hear from any of the listeners with, uh, what you learned and how you're going to use it. I like that. I like that. But it's like playing it back. Podcasts are by nature are very one way, aren't they? That people listen. But I like that. Getting them involved. Um, I tell you what, I think they're going to learn. I think they're going to take a lot from it. Um, I, I'll say thank you very much because it was obviously deeply meaningful, but also a personal chat. So thank you very much for sharing the story. But I think that I think there's a lot in there for the for the listeners to take away and implement in their life already. Um so thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Terry. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And we will catch you again soon. And 
don't forget, this podcast is brought to you by Rockman, the online challenge platform for those with a deep desire to test and further their limits and live a healthier life with fortitude. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content and community to motivate you to push your limits, strengthen your mind and achieve your next level of health, fitness and mental resilience. Take part around your everyday life all year round from the comfort of your own location without the restriction of fixed schedules, expensive gyms or equipment and outside of race day events. You can sign up and become a member of the team at rockman.co.uk.